0: Well, good morning, church family. And those uh, were just the precious treasures that we prayed over this morning for service um, in our Family Blessing Day. And we have Family Blessing Day on uh, a couple of times a year. And, and uh, this, uh, this year it was on Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day. And we're delighted to, to get the opportunity to worship with you. And I um, want to have a special Mother's Day message today from, uh, from the book of Acts. Um, But first, I want to tell you about an article that I read this week by a mom called, What's It Like to Be a Mom? Five minutes in mom's head. See if this resonates with anybody. Hmm. What time is it? What day is it? Oh, gosh, this bed feels so good. Why can't I just stay here? Why can't I just stay here all day? That would be a perfect vacation. Forget the Caribbean. I just want my bed, my bed with Netflix and cheesecake and Tostitos and guacamole and oh, nachos. I'll never be skinny. Maybe I should do that. Maybe I should do that Facebook ab challenge because I need something fresh to fail at. I could do I could do a cheesecake challenge. Try a new cheesecake every day. What are they fighting about now? A highlighter. In a room full of expensive toys that I paid good money for, they're fighting over a highlighter? Really? Speaking of toys, I should probably wash their stuffed animals. What if they're full of dust mites? What if there's an entire city of dust mites right behind tender heart bear's eyes? What... A a, a dust mite community with freeways and infrastructure and elected dust mite officials. I need to be more on top of this stuff. Why can't I be a normal, responsible Pinterest mom? I haven't made my baby one sensory table or ice tray full of colorful little finger foods Okay, what do I need to do today? Uh, return calls, answer emails, return texts from days ago. People probably think I'm rude. I need to get organized. I need to organize this whole house. This room is a mess. I saw on Oprah that your bedroom is a reflection of your marriage. Oh, Lord, please don't let that be true. I, I need to declutter. At the very least, I need to put away all of this laundry. It's a bad sign when you run out of laundry baskets and start using clear storage containers. So, They should definitely have some fruit this morning, strawberries. Too bad they're not organic. Aren't they on the dirty dozen list? It's probably better to eat air than a non-organic strawberry. They're probably just pesticides in the shape of strawberries. Strawberry-shaped toxic bombs of agricultural poison. I'll rinse them first. I have got to clean out the fridge and the freezer. I mean, we're never going to eat that stuff. I hate it that we waste so much. What am I going to make for dinner tonight? I've already done tacos, chicken. Nobody likes my meatloaf. Maybe I'll just pick up a pizza. I've cooked for three nights in a row. I deserve a night off. Definitely, it's going to be pizza. I wish I were more like my sister-in-law. She is so organized. My house looks like an outlet mall threw up in there. Today is definitely a mopping day. Last night, I think I saw a dust bunny roll across the family room like a tumbleweed in one of those Western films, but I'm going to have to go to the store first and get some vinegar. I should throw out all those harsh cleaners. Those chemicals are probably hurting the baby. It's going to be my fault if there's ever something wrong with him. Me and my stupid love of fresh scent. What is fresh scent anyway? Wouldn't fresh scent technically be odorless? It's just that fresh scent makes me feel accomplished, like I did something. They should call it progress scent. (laughs) Or I tried scent. I've got to get more pacifiers. I'm starting to think they might evaporate into thin air. Maybe goblins come in the night and steal them for their goblin babies. Speaking of goblins, I should sign them up for summer camp today. I hope I haven't missed the deadline. I can't believe how expensive camp is this year. Everybody needs doctor's appointments. I wish doctors made house calls, but then I'd have to clean. Maybe I'd just spritz a little I tried scent in the air. Okay, if I don't get up now, we're going to be late. Oh, man, I've got to stop for gas. I forgot I'm on empty. Why do I always wait till the last minute? Oh, yes, I was rushing home to make dinner. They want breakfast. Why haven't I heard the baby yet? Is he okay? I hope he's okay. Did he wake up last night? I can't remember. Oh, no. What if I go in there and, Oh, there he is. He's screaming now. <laughs> I wish he'd sleep a little longer. <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> That's five minutes. <laughs> five minutes in a mom's head from a mom. And... One of the things we learned from that article is that much of motherhood is spent moment by moment in the mundane. And one of the most insightful truths that I've learned is that during your life, you're going to make three, maybe four major decisions. I mean major decisions. I'm thinking about where you're going to go to School, who you're going to marry, your vocation. Three or four. The rest of the time, you're going to live moment by moment in the mundane. Five minutes in a mom's head. Now, in the middle of the day, in the middle of your mundane, when it feels like all you're doing is wiping things up, wiping up a mess, wiping up a spilled drink, Wiping a nose or another body part, in the middle of the mundane mess, God is there. And He wants to be ruler over your mundane. And if God does not rule your mundane, He does not rule you because that's where you live. And today we remind ourselves that over and above the mundane, is a sovereign God of love who loves you, who loves the children that he has entrusted to your care. And today we remind ourselves that whatever season of motherhood you happen to be in, even when it feels mundane, it's just that. It's a season. It's a season. There are seasons and there are chapters of motherhood. And as time passes, New seasons commence. You will not be the mother of a newborn forever. Nor will you be the mother of a five-year-old or a 15-year-old or a 25-year-old. New seasons mean new possibilities of motherhood to influence, to model, to teach, to love. Hear me, dear sisters who are um, moms, And everyone else. God does not mean for you to do everything that you should do or would like to do at the same time in any one season of your life. Let that soak for just a moment. Let me repeat that. God does not mean for you to do everything that you should do or would like to do at the same time in any one season of your life. And today I want us to look at the most famous mom in Scripture. Jesus' mother, Mary. And her life teaches us that God took her through a series of seasons. And there are seasons of motherhood. And Mary's were fourfold. There were four seasons in her life that I want us to consider this morning. A season of identity, a season of trust, a season of loss, a season of hope. And I think we'll learn as we traverse through her life and see those seasons that there are seasons too. There are seasons too. And I think we'll learn that her life was meant to teach us so that by her encouragement and by endurance, we would be people of hope. We would be Mothers of hope. So let's first consider this primary season of Mary's life, a a season that really captured all of the trajectory of her life, the season of identity. Season of identity. That's in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, where Mary responded to the angel after she received the announcement of her being highly favored to give birth to the Messiah. Mary's response, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am the servant of the Lord. These are important words. What Mary said matters because it's easy to think of motherhood as a series of activities. Motherhood as a set of to-dos. Job responsibilities, many of which seem to appear from our culture and then are critiqued by our culture on social media. Well, of course there are tasks. Yes, but when our view of motherhood is activity-based... Inevitably, we'll begin judging ourselves and others based on how efficient and effective we are at executing those activities. And the problem with that is that our activities can either bury us with guilt or swell us with pride, depending on the execution. Mary says, I am the Lord's servant. And in doing so, she teaches us that God never starts with activity in terms of our relationship with him. He always starts with identity, our identity. You see, motherhood doesn't start with children. It starts with God. It starts with the Lord. I am the Lord's servant. I belong to him. My life is his. My future is his. This child is his. My hopes are his. May it be to me according to your word. Your word, whatever you say goes. Which meant that Mary was going to be misunderstood. She was going to be gossiped about. She was going to be perceived as a less than perfect mother by her community. But her identity was fixed as a servant of the Lord. She had one and only one person to please. Not the villagers who gossiped about her premarital pregnancy, not even her Orthodox parents, and not even her pious husband, Joseph, who was going to quietly end the relationship until he received a vision from the angel. I am the Lord's servant. One scholar put it this way, Mary elected God's election of her. Whatever life she thought she was going to have, she traded for the life God wanted for her, and God did not reveal every detail of that life. She was not sure. What her life as God's servant would look like. For her, it was one day at a time, one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace. Mary did not have to know the master plan, she just needed to know the master. I am the Lord's servant. And Mary's starting point was her identity, not her activity. And for every believer, for every believing mom, your identity is united with Jesus Christ. You are united with his sinless life and perfect righteousness. When God looks at you, he looks at you in Christ, which means he sees Christ first. And your life is hidden with Christ in God. And the beauty about that, the beauty of finding my identity in Jesus is that I can then stop obsessing about my own identity because now it's not about who I am, it's about who he is. Yasmeen Holmes gave these powerful words for all of us on Mother's Day when she wrote, this Mother's Day, gift yourself with the knowledge that your service to your children, to your kids, isn't measured in how the audience of the world rates your performance. It's measured by a holy standard that has already been met by the Son of God. That was the primary lesson for Mary's life. And... and. Oh, it was so important for her to to get that in her heart, especially if she entered a season of trust. That takes us to Luke chapter 2. We go from Mary's encounter with the angel to when Jesus turns 12. And he goes to the temple with his parents and the family and the neighbors. It was like a group trip and they have a wonderful spiritual family time and then on the way back home, after a full day on the road, Mary and Joseph had one of those panicky, I thought he was with you conversations. <laughs> no, I thought he was with you. Well, where is he? Well, we don't know. Well, and they had to race a full day back to Jerusalem in distress. And they're searching for Jesus. They've lost their son. <laughs> and finally they find him at the temple playing Jeopardy with the teachers of the law. Winning! And they were both amazed and perplexed and worried. We were worried about you. How could you do this to us? And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. We didn't know where you were equals Great distress. And there's not a mom in here who hasn't felt great distress over her children. We're in distress about their safety at school. We're in distress about their choices for friends. We're in distress about how they get along with their friends. We're in distress about their grades, their future, their jobs. We're in distress about their health, their faith. We're in distress about whether we've done a good enough job as a parent, as if it all depended on us. Parenting and great distress go together. A mother once confessed her distress over her children. And this is what she said. She said, my my worries, my distress, my anxiety over my children grew after they became adults. And someone said, well, why is that? And this mom said, well, after they left home, all I had was prayer and trusting God. And the moment she said that, she realized, well, what did I have before? Hmm. Prayer and trusting God, that's all we really ever have, period. We don't know everything our children are doing all the time. They don't want us to know everything they're doing all the time. I still haven't told my dad everything. But we have a sovereign God who knows everything all the time. And... 12-year-old Jesus more or less reminded his mother of God's sovereignty. Luke says, and Jesus said to them, why why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Where where else would I be? And Mary and Joseph just kind of, they didn't understand the saying that he spoke to them, you know. Church family, if the Lord is our shepherd, is it not also true that the Lord is their shepherd? is Is he not able to lead them in right paths? And if they become confused or if they become lost or spiritually indifferent, is he not able to Look for them and find them and bring them back. Here you are as a mom trying for 18 years to point this little guy in the right direction and then you let him go. Do you find confidence knowing that you can trust your heavenly father? You have no reason not to trust your heavenly father. And your heavenly father has never promised that the way would be easy. But he did promise that he would be with you and them all the way. So trust him. Trust him. And all the more important that we do so, especially as we consider this next season of Mary's life, this season of identity This season of trust, this season of loss, we go from the conversation with the angel to the temple to the cross, John 19, 5. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. What was that like, watching your son die the God to whom she said she would be a slave to, took her son, as if to say, he's my son. And I have a plan for him. And you may not understand that plan, but I am the sovereign God over that plan. And that plan requires Jesus to do what only Jesus can do, suffer a violent death as a victim of injustice. And Mary was there. She witnessed this. A grieving mother once wrote these words. If Mother's Day is about love, it's also about loss and longing which are wrapped up with love. Honoring the love of mothers means also honoring the pain that comes with Mother's Day. Some have lost children. Some have lost their mother. Some grieve for the babies they could never bear. Some grieve for the mother they never knew or the relationship with her that was never what they dreamed. Some weep for children gone astray or for children who face myriad challenges. Somewhere a woman and her children are suddenly alone and she finds herself embarking on a single motherhood that she never planned for her life. Somewhere, a woman who made the brave and loving decision to place her baby for adoption aches for the child she carried, but she feels judged and demonized for her choice. Somewhere, a woman is innocently preparing for an ultrasound that will shock her with the worst news of her life. Somewhere, a woman is waiting, wondering if her turn for marriage and motherhood will ever come, and another woman is wondering why other people think she should desire those things when she doesn't. For every woman celebrating on Mother's Day, there must be at least one who wishes it would just go away. And then this dear mother wrote these words. Last year, Mother's Day fell the month after we buried our son. And that day was torture. Not because I didn't love and cherish our living children, but because I realized I would never again celebrate with my whole family until heaven. And that pierced my soul. And Mary knows what it's like to have her soul pierced. And when your soul is pierced, you know, I don't have a sermon called Four Quick Steps to Fix Grief. (laughs) Because there are no steps, there's just a person, a high priest. Hebrews 4, 15, and 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help our time of need. On the cross, Jesus was where he needed to be. Dying for us, dying for Mary. There are no perfect moms. And if you stand near the cross, your sin is finished. But if you drift from the cross, you're finished. So stay near the cross. Stay near the cross, endure the cross. Because it's not permanent pain. It's not. As Mary's life proves to us, this season of identity, this season of trust, this season of loss, upon these things dawn the season of hope. Mary's season of hope. And this is where we find her in the book of Acts. And this is why I wanted to talk about her because the last we see of Mary's life is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. After the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after Jesus' 40 days with uh, his disciples, including Mary, after his ascension and, and being seated on high in the heavenly realm, Acts chapter 1, verse 14 says, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the last we see of her in Scripture. She who was overshadowed by the power of the Holy Spirit in Luke 1 is now actively praying for the Spirit's outpouring at Pentecost. She who prayed persistently in Acts chapter 1, part Participated in the miracle of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Her name tells us that she was a prominent figure in Jerusalem. And later, church history tells us in Ephesus, where she lived with the Apostle John. So, Mary had come through the whole story. She knew Jesus before the cross, she was with Jesus at the cross. And she was praying to her son after the cross. Because her son was no ordinary child. He was in fact the resurrected king of Israel and the true emperor of the universe. Jesus, her son, was her savior. She believed that she was the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus. And notice it says Jesus' brothers were there. So Mary's immediate family was with her, and we learned that her immediate family has been enfolded into the family of God. The church Jesus was building had children of all ages who needed prayers and teachings from a life example, and such is the case in our church family. In our church family, there are children both under age and of age, children from 3 to 33. And these children need godly women, spiritual mothers, who will teach, nurture, and encourage. And they need godly women with decades of life experience. Women who identify as servants of the Lord. Women who trust God no matter what. Women who have suffered loss at the cross. Women with hope in their hearts because they believe that God's son defeated death. Our church needs the fearless beauty of godly women who will say to all of us, say with the angel, with God, nothing is impossible. Oh, sisters in Christ, how we need to hear you say that. We need to hear you say that in your prayers. We need to hear you say that in the foyer. We need to hear you say that in small groups. We need to hear you say that to, to the three-year-olds, to the 33-year-olds, to the 55-year-olds. We need to hear you say, with God, nothing is impossible. With God, nothing is impossible. I wonder, I wonder if Mary ever told Jesus when he was a boy how the angel Gabriel came to her and said she was going to have a child and how she said, you know, this can't be. It's impossible. I've never been with a man. And Gabriel said to her, nothing's impossible with God. She must have said that to Jesus so many times. Nothing is impossible with God. And and then one day Jesus was teaching and he said, with God all things are possible. Where did he get that? Oh, mom, I'm singing our song. And then and then in the gospels Jesus said Jesus fed 4000 and then later 5000 and Luke 153 Mary's song the magnificat Luke 153 says that God has filled the hungry with good things Mom I'm singing our song And then with blood streaming down his face before Pontius Pilate, who said to him, don't you know I have the power to put you to death? Jesus told Pilate he would have no power unless it was given to him from above. Why would he say that? Because his mom sang it in Luke one fifty three. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones. Mom, I'm singing our song. And then on the cross, the thief Who says, Lord, remember me. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Where did Jesus get that? Mary's song. Remembering to be merciful. Mom, I'm singing our song. Songs depicting the seasons of life. Our lives. Identity. Trust. Loss. Hope. Are you singing Mary's song? Are you willing to? Everybody has a song, and every song magnifies something. Who will your song magnify?